Good morning. Uh, my name is Forrest. I'm a covenant member here. Uh, this morning, our reading is going to be from Joshua 11, uh, verses 18 through 20, and then 23. Joshua made war a long time with all those kings, the, inhabi- the inhabitants of Gibeon. They took them all in battle. For it was the Lord's doing to harden their hearts that they should come against Israel in battle in order that they but be destroyed, just as the Lord commanded Moses. So Joshua took the whole land according to all that the Lord had spoken to Moses. And Joshua gave it for an an inheritance to Israel according to their tribal allotments. And the land had rest from from war. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you, God. Thanks, Forrest. You may be seated. Well, uh, if you have your Bible, go ahead and turn to Joshua chapter 11. Um, just worship team, thank you guys so much, Paige and Zach. Thank you all so much for leading us uh, this morning. Uh, those songs are just were a refreshment to my own soul. Um, that's just one of the beautiful things about uh, worship music and just the gift of music is that music can be this, this thing that just reminds us of what is true, reminds us of, of, of who God is, uh, who we are in light of him, what Jesus has done for us. Uh, and it's one of those things that I don't know how your week goes, but it just is always a time of refreshment for me and a good reminder of just uh, who our God is and that he is worthy of worship and that ultimately uh, worship of him is just a, the thing that we need. Um, so anyways, so so Joshua 11, so we're kind of, Joshua 11 is in this point of the book of Joshua. Where it's kind of concluding one part uh, and, and opening and ushering in another. But before we jump into to the text this morning, uh, how many of you guys are fans of shortcuts? Yes, yes. If you're running, you're like, yes, get me home quicker. Uh, shortcuts, I mean, most of us are, are familiar with shortcuts. We've, we've probably taken many of them in, in our life. I think about my school days. Um, I was your B student. Sometimes I would get a C, sometimes I would get an A. Um, but I would just kind of do what I had to do to, to get through it. And so I wasn't a great student. I did the shortcuts. I did the bare minimum. Uh, maybe that's some of y'all's experience. I think some of y'all probably were much better students than I was. Uh, but shortcuts, uh, typically, while they are helpful in the moment, don't really provide a long-term solution. Uh, some of you guys might remember, so my very first car uh, was a 1991 Jeep Cherokee. Anyone in here actually remember the Swan? There's a few people, yes, yes, there's a few people in here who remember the Swan. Uh, it's it called the Swan because it had this obnoxious Swan hood ornament on the front of it, and, I, and it was bolted on, and so I couldn't take it off. So, uh, but anyways, I had this, this Jeep, and it would sometimes start, and sometimes it wouldn't. And so what a lot of times what I would do is I would get duct tape, because kids, if there's anything you take away from today is that duct tape fixes everything, temporarily. Um, so I would get, I would, uh, you know, try to jiggle some wires, put some electrical duct tape around to get my car to start, and, and it would start uh, for about a week, temporarily. And then I'd have to do the same thing over and over again. So this is this idea that uh, this, this, this duct tape, it was more like a Band-Aid. It didn't really get to the root of the problem. It just kind of like helped things for a moment. It was a shortcut, but didn't really provide an actual solution. It didn't actually just that, yeah, like, by the way, so Band-Aids are the same thing, right? Band-Aids just kind of, uh, um, you know, they cover up what's the scab that's on the surface, but, but really the healing goes underneath, right? Do y'all, any of y'all have to take a temptation to like pull the Band-Aid off? Yes, kids, y'all do that? Is that just me? 
No, okay. Um, right, but so, but so the ideas of band-aids or duct tapes is that they fix things temporarily. They provide, provide temporal relief, but they don't really get to the solution of the problem. And so I think for many of us, when we talk about, so today we're going to be talking about this idea of rest. And when we talk about this idea of rest, I'm not necessarily talking about physical rest, so that may be a part of it. Um, but when we try to find rest and try to find rest for our souls and just really uh, walk in what we just sang about, finding this delight in the Lord, um, a lot of us, we, we ultimately will find, look to other things to try to find that, just this stillness and this, this peace. Um, we live in a world that we're, we're always busy. We've always got something going on. Um, we're filled with probably so many fears and anxieties and struggles um, that it's so easy for us to, to find the duct tapes and the band-aids to try to find some relief. In, in reality, we're, not gonna, we're only going to find a temporary solution in those things. And so many times, we'll find ourselves going to the things of the world, sometimes sinful, sometimes neutral, like Hulu or Netflix or sports. Uh, we look to these things for some kind of relief and for ease, but the reality is um, they might provide a temporal like happiness or a temporal kind of satisfaction, but they're ultimately going to leave us still like feeling anxious or fearful. They, they might provide a temporary escape, but they're not going to actually get to the root of the problem. They're, they're a Band-Aid. They're, a, they're duct tape. And so as we think about rest, my, my, my challenge and question for us today is that what if rest looked a lot less like indulging or controlling or trying to look to something of this world to find an escape, but more like surrendering? What if rest actually came through us letting go of some things and surrendering them to the Lord? And so um, what we're going to look at in Joshua 11 is Joshua 11 is going to help us show this reality today. Um, Joshua 11 is going to give us a picture and ultimately a foreshadowing of where rest really comes from. Joshua 11 is going to kind of frame it for us of, of that rest comes from when we surrender. Rest comes through surrender. And so as we pick up in, in chapter 11, so the last two weeks we've been in chapter 10, um, but up until this point, um, what we have seen is that the nation of Israel is be, was beginning to, uh, to inhabit and conquest the land, the southern part of the land that the Lord has given them. So all the nations um, and the cities that were there, you see these battles after battles um, take place and Israel coming through and ultimately um, God giving them and fighting for them to, to, to enter into this land. And so when we open up in chapter 11, we see a very similar vibe because now they're in the northern part. So they were in the southern part in chapter 10, and now in the beginning of chapter 11, they're going to be in the northern kingdom. Let's look in verses 1 through 6. When Jabin, king of Hazar, heard of this, or heard of all what Israel was doing, all the destruction they brought to the southern part of that land. So when king Hazar heard of this, he sent to jo Jobab, king of Medan, and to the king of Shimron, and to the king of Asaph, and to the kings who were in the northern hill country, and in the Arab south of Shinaroth, and in the lowland in Naphtaphoth, Dor, on the west, to the Canaanites in the east and the west, the Amorites, the Hittites, the Perizzites, and the Jebusites in the hill country, and the Hivites under Hermon in the land of Mizpah. And they came out with all their troops, a great horde in number, like the sand that is on the seashore, with very many horses and chariots. And all these kings joined their forces and came and encamped together at the waters of Mermam to fight against Israel. Verse 6. And the Lord said to Joshua, Do not be afraid of them, for tomorrow at this time I will give over 
all of them slain to Israel. You shall hamstring their horses and burn their chariots with fire. So we read these verses. Does this sound familiar from a few weeks ago? If you're here with us, what we see in the southern kingdom is something very similar to what we just read. This king hears about what God is doing through this nation of Israel. They're like, okay, we've got to do something about this. And so they find their ally nations, they find their ally cities, and they try to come together and like, we need to wage war against this nation. And so you see this pattern going on in this idea of that, that man trusting in themselves. And so here's the thing what we need to know about the northern kingdom is that they, their military and their weaponry was uh, incredibly vastly superior than their southern kingdom. Instead of when they said they have horses and chariots, the idea that it's getting at is that the technology that they had for their warfare uh, was pretty significant for that, time of, uh, for that era of time. And so what we're seeing is that, that this army that came together of this northern kingdom, there was a lot of them. It says there's a number of sand on the seashore um, and that they were very, very, very strong. And I love it in verse 6. Verse 6, we see the Lord say something to Joshua that he has said really throughout the whole book. You can probably quote it yourself. What does he say to them, class? Do not be afraid. Do not be afraid, for tomorrow I'll give them into your hand. What I love about this is that I think it's worth to note every time is that why does God tell Joshua to not be afraid? Probably because he was afraid. And you think about it. How many times has he had to say that to him? So many times. And how many times has God been proven faithful? So many. And this isn't me saying this is a deficiency on Joshua, but this is just a, 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 a reminder for Joshua that God was with him. Don't we need reminders? Yeah. We need, hey, God is with us. And so what, we see, what I love about this is that as they're seeing this army, that's this vast army, uh, that's so many people, that's so strong, has all this military power and might. What I love is that God, knowing that Joshua probably had some fear, knowing that Joshua might have been thinking, you know what, like the southern kingdom, it's, it's a lot of land. We, could just, we can just land there. We can just be there. It's fine. Um, but he probably knew Joshua's fears. And so the Lord, in his kindness, comforts him and reminds him, don't be afraid. I've got this. Just like I did with the southern kingdom, I've got this. Because the picture that's being painted here, it's like Abilene Christian playing Alabama, Right? I got, I, got, I got to throw some shade towards Abilene Christian. They were our rivals in college. I didn't like them. Uh, my brother-in-law went there. still don't like them. So, but that's the picture that's being painted here. But God gives this promise to Joshua that I'm going to fight for you. I'm going to be with you. I'm going to take over you. And what we see, in, even in verse 8, as the this, as this story continues, um, the progression of, this, of them entering into the northern country continues. It says that the Lord gave them gave them into the hand of Israel. And, and what we see then in verses 6 through 19, it really is, is similar to what we read about last week, is that they are devoting to destruction these nations that inhabited, inhabited this land, this military. And, and it even gives some specifics. Is that the, the exact, when, when the Lord said, hey, you're going to tie up their horses and you're going to pretty much burn the chariots, that's, that's what they do. They did. Joshua was, was being obedient. But what, what we see here is that in verses 6 through 19 is that ultimately the Lord was with him and that Joshua devoted everything to destruction. Now, we talked more at length about that last week, that, that idea of devoted to destruction. So I would encourage you, if you weren't here with us last week, uh, check that sermon out because we went into that phrase a little bit more at length. But what we need to know is that not necessarily every person died, but what, we, what did happen was that any influence that these northern kingdoms had, these northern kings had, was gone, obliterated. 
And it was ultimately done, it was gone because ultimately it was the Lord who did, who did that for them. And then we get to verses 21 through 23, and you kind of see a separate battle going on. Um, you see this battle, this concluding battle uh, that, that Israel is uh, in against these people called the Anakim. And what's significant about these people, so if you go back to Numbers, remember, Joshua is, is, is on, built, stands on the shoulder of the Torah, the first five books of the Bible. And what's interesting about these people is that uh, Moses sent out 10, 12 spies, Joshua being one of them, uh, back in the book of Numbers. And in that book, so they, 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 when they first entered the land, they were going to try to spy out the land, see what the land was like, and then bring a report back to the rest of the nation. The, one of the very first people they saw were these people called the Anakim, and they were considered giants. They were tall people. It was like a nation full of uh, Dirk Nowinskis, okay? They were big, tall, giant people. And, and, and when they bring the report back, 10 of the 12 spies was like, we can't take these people. We, we can't take these people. They're, they're too big for us. The land's not that great. Uh, why, and, and that's even when the nation of Israel was like uh, getting mad at God. Why'd you even take us out of Egypt? Uh, and that, it was actually in that moment where God was like, no, y'all aren't going. You, this, this first generation, y'all aren't going in. And what's ironic is, is that the, this nation, the Anakim, that we see in verses 21 through 23, this was the nation that they were initially fearful of, that prevented the first generation from going in, but this was the final nation that they defeated that ultimately was bringing about the land rest. And, and you see the second generation of Israelites, of those who came out of Israel, be obedient and trust the Lord. And they, what we see that the result of them trusting the Lord was in verse 23, the land had rest. God fulfilled his promise. He was, and that's really what a lot of the rest of the book of Joshua is about, is, is Israel coming into their inheritance, this land that God promised them. But we see the faithfulness of God and that the, the land had rest from war. After years of, of blood and destruction, after years of calamity and war, after years of soldiers probably not seeing their families, the land had rest from war. We see a promise being fulfilled. And so what we see in Joshua chapter 11 is you see a bit of a contrast between two groups of people. You see this coalition of kings and allies in these nations who thought about trying to band together and trust themselves for life and for peace and for, and for sustaining. And then you saw uh, the Israelites who trusted in the Lord, not perfectly by, by the way, like, I don't want to paint this picture that Israel is perfectness, as we've talked about in sermons before. I mean, there were times where even in this moment, they were disobedient. But ultimately, we see that, that under Joshua's leadership, Joshua had a trust in the Lord, and God proved himself time and time again to be faithful. And what we see between these two groups is that one group looked to themselves and ended up being destroyed. The other group looked to, to the Lord and ended up finding rest. And you may have seen in, in verse 20, there's this verse that, that may kind of, as we read it, kind of hits us in a weird way. He says in verse 20 that, for it was the Lord's doing to harden their hearts, that they should come against Israel in battle in order that they should be devoted to destruction and should receive no mercy, but be destroyed just as the Lord commanded. That hits us a little weird, doesn't it? That, that, that kind of makes us wonder, what, what's going on here? 
Did, did, this, did this group of people even have a, have a choice in the matter of, 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 of fighting against uh, Israel or, or, or relenting and repenting? So, so as we talked about last week, again, we talked about this more last, last week, but these nations, the southern nations and the northern nations, were nations that were talked about in the Torah that were to be devoted to destruction because of their wickedness. They, their practices were f- completely opposite from God's. They had so much immorality, child sacrifice. There were so many things about these nations and, the, and how they practiced uh, their worship that was so contrary to the ways of God, so contrary to the ways of God. And so they were practicing these, these things for hundreds of years. And outside of, of the Gibeonites and Rahab, none of them repent. None of them repent. What we see is a group of people who, per, who prefer a lie to the truth. And so what, what we see this text is, is really getting at, and when God hardened their hearts, God was already giving them up to what they were already walking in. God was already giving them up to what they were already walking in. And we actually see a similar sentiment in, in the New Testament, in, in Romans. Paul says in chapter 1, he says that, Therefore, God gave them up in the lusts of their hearts to impurity, to the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves, because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie, and worshiped and served the creature rather than creator. So what does it mean that the Lord gave them up, or that the Lord hardened their hearts? See, the, real, the reality of our sin, the reality of the sin of those nations, the reality of our own sin is that it will make our hearts harden towards the grace of God. It will cause our hearts to be callous towards the grace of God. And so when we per- pursue our sin, when we try to find life in it, when we try to rest in it, when we try to find rest in our own ways and trusting in ourselves, ultimately what that's going to do is that it's going to harden our, our hearts to the things of God. We exchange a truth for a lie. Or, or another way to say it, we believe that the lie is what is true. We believe the lie is what is true. And so this idea of, of giving, he, God gave them up. Uh, there's a quote from J.D. Greer, and he, he says it really well. He says, God's wrath isn't arbitrary. It's the full fruition of telling God to get out of our lives and allowing sin to grow unchecked in us. I love that. Allowing sin to grow unchecked in us. It's us saying to God, leave me alone. And him saying, as you wish. Because when your heart is not right, the absolute worst thing God can do is to give you what you want. And that's essentially what he means by when he hardens your hearts. That's what was happening. That's what God did. And so we see what happens. Now the question is, what does any of this have to do with rest? As we talk about this idea of, of rest, what is Joshua 11? What, how does this connect to this idea of rest? So remember, we have, this, we have a text that's full of these kings who thought they would achieve peace and life and what they could do. And instead, it led to their destruction. Their sin never brought about what they thought it was going to bring about. National vitality, life, but rather their sin ultimately led to their destruction. And God, it was ultimately God gave them up to it. Okay, this is what you want. Here you go. And then on the flip side, Israel was able to enter into the promised land ultimately because they surrendered their fears and trusted in the Lord. Do we catch what's going on here? 
It was actually the trusting of the Lord, the surrendering of whatever fears and anxiety, which again, why does, jo- why does Joshua need to be reminded? Because he's probably fearful of the whole nation, probably because he's fearful. And God reminds him time and time again that he's with them. And they believed it, not perfectly, but they believed it. And ultimately, they're surrendering their fears. They're trusting in the Lord led to their rest, led to their rest. See, see rest doesn't look like controlling and trusting uh, and believing a lie. Rest doesn't look like us trying to indulge in our sin. It doesn't look like us trying to find an escape or trying to numb the pain in some other ways, but rather it looks like surrendering. It looks like surrender. And we will not find true rest by looking to creation, but rather we will find rest when we look to our creator. Rest ultimately comes from him. And so I, this, earlier this week, I was on a phone call uh, with some other pastors, and there was a new term that was kind of introduced to me that I had never heard before, but it was really helpful uh, for me to think about. It's called, it, this term was easy, accessible escapes. So a lot of us in here, we like, you know, we like uh, Netflix, we like our sports, we like our news, we like Hulu, uh, we like social media. Um, we like, you know, those things are, are really pretty ingrained into our, our lives. They're a big part of our lives, and there's nothing inherently wrong with them. There's nothing wrong with, with watching a show or, or, or hanging out and, and seeing what's going on on sports or, I mean, college football is coming up. I love college football. Hockey season's coming up. I love these things. They're fun. But is it possible? Is there a difference? And I want, I want us to think about this. Is there a difference between engaging with these things in a way that's just, hey, I'm hanging out with my friends, or I'm engaging in this thing because I'm trying to escape from something? Do we ever binge show after show after show because there's something else going on in our life, some other kind of pain or anxiety and fear that we just need to push away for a bit, that we just need to kind of escape from for a little bit, to try to find rest? I mean, do we, do we sometimes just scroll? Uh, I mean, this is me. Do we just sometimes scroll our Facebook feeds trying to just to find relief or trying to find uh, some kind of rest? because there's something else in our life that we want to be distracted from. I'm including myself in this, by the way. There's so many cultural pacifiers that we have, or these easy, accessible escapes that we go to to ultimately find rest, but the reality is they will never provide it. They will never provide it. Those things in and of themselves aren't bad, but if we're using them to find an escape, to find life, and to find peace, that's just like the kings of Joshua trying to come together and find life and peace and fighting against God. Or maybe for some of us, we might feel like we'll find rest and life and peace if we can just have a little bit more control of our lives or a little bit more control of a situation or a little bit more influence. We, we, we sometimes will equate to if we can just kind of like get, get, get things to over here, then we'll be better. But the reality is we can try to change and we can try to control, but control doesn't really provide rest. It only provides more anxiety. Or for a lot of us, when it even comes to our own sin, um, a lot of us, what we might try to do is when we, we feel guilty and we feel bad, what we try to do is like, okay, I'm going to like sit on this for a little bit and then bring it to Jesus. We wait a few days and then we say, hey, all right, after a few days, then it's safe for me to bring this to Jesus. And all that is doing is training yourself to see that ultimately your sin, you have to have some kind of part in, in the forgiveness of your sin. You have to have some kind of penance. You have to have some kind of trust in yourself 
to ultimately bring about rest and peace from your sin. And so, so, so what, regardless of what it might be, we don't find rest when we look to creation. We don't find rest when we look to ourselves. But rather, rest ultimately comes from when we find and embrace our own neediness. Rest doesn't look like us leaning into our strengths or indulging or controlling or putting off, but rather rest looks like us embracing our neediness for Jesus. And how do we embrace our neediness for Jesus? Surrender. Surrender. Now I get it. Because if I'm you, I'm thinking the same thing. Okay, surrender sounds like a very churchy word. Um, I hear this all the time, like let go and let God. What does that mean? Right? We hear that phrase, let go and let God. Okay, how? Right? So, so really quick, put your pens down. It sounds like a teacher. Put your pens down, pens down. Um, I, I wanna, I'm going to ask a series of questions, uh, and I want you to engage with them honestly for yourself. A- answer them honestly, because I want, I, want I, want, I want to help us get a picture of what surrender is, because it's this very important thing that oftentimes has been morphed into a cliche. And I don't want it to be a cliche for you. I want it to be something that's actually grabbable and real. And so I'm going to ask a series of questions, and I just want you to engage with them honestly. Think through, meditate. You've got to close your eyes. I want, I want, I want us to, to help us see that ultimately we embrace our needs for Jesus by surrender. So what is it that we need to surrender? And so um, let's put some flesh to this. What do you feel anxious about right now? What do, you feel, what do you feel fearful about right now? Why do you feel that? Why do you feel those things? What is something that you wish that you had a little bit more control over in your life? What is something that you wish you had um, more influence? Why do you want that? What are you hoping that's going to bring? What sin do you kind of like right now? What, what sin do you kind of enjoy right now? Um, what are you hoping to get out of it? What, do you, what, do you, what hope, what hope do you, are you trying to get out of it? Um, where, are you, where are you tempted to avoid something right now? Why, why are you trying to avoid? Where do you, do you feel guilt right now? Why do you feel guilty? Or do, do you feel um, like you have been using some, some the cultural pacifiers like Netflix or sports or news as a means way to meet to numb pain. Why are you doing that? What do you feel like you're trying to escape? Think, think, what do you feel right now? As I'm asking this question, take time to, what, how are you feeling about these things? I know as Christians, we don't like to talk about our feelings that much. Um, but what do you feel as I'm asking these questions? What does it look like for, for you? What do you think it would look like? What you would gain if that pain went away? What do you think you would look like when, if, if that suffering or that circumstance changed in your favor? What are you hoping to get out of that? What do you feel? What are you wanting? What emotions are tied to certain circumstances of your life that cause you anxiety? What, 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 are, what, what positive things or what negative things? Sit with us for a second. You know, let, me, let me read again Proverbs 3 from our call to worship. Let me read again. As you're thinking about these things, think about these things. Let me read again Proverbs 3, um, 5 through 8. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him and he will make straight your paths. 
Be not wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and turn away from evil. What's the promise of verse 8? It will be healing to your flesh and refreshment to your bones. That's a promise. So here's the thing. Surrendering is the release of control and trusting in yourself and ultimately trusting in the faithfulness and sovereignty of God. So when we surrender our emotions and our, our feelings and our anxieties and fears, it's not that, we, we have to, it's not that we, right, the goal is to stop feeling them. It's not necessarily that the goal is to stop like being sad or angry, but ultimately the goal is to bring them to the one who can actually do something about it. How many times, whatever those things are in your life, that we look to other things to try to fill the numbness when in actuality, the only one who could actually help us is the one who made you. How easy is it for us to to go to a cultural pacifier as opposed to going to the one who can actually deal with the emotions and feelings and anxieties and struggles and sins that we have? And I'm speaking to myself here. It's so easy. It's so easy for us to look to other things other than Jesus. But what Proverbs, what Joshua is helping us remind us is that ultimately the Lord is the one who will bring about rest in your life. Creation, uh, there's many good things about creation. There's many good things about this world. There's many neutral things in this world that aren't bad things, but they cannot provide the peace and rest that we are really after. They just can't. They just can't. And I can tell you, you don't have to watch 10 episodes of The Office to actually get that. Um, so surrendering is a release. It's an understanding that, that is con- release that I'm not in control, that God is. And it's scary to surrender because when we surrender and ask, Lord, I feel anxious about the circumstance. Would you please help me? God, I feel anxious um, because I'm not sure what's ahead. God, I feel anxious because I'm looking for a new job. God, I feel anxious because of this circumstance. I feel anxious because of all these different things. Lord, I, I, I feel these things. I don't know how to, but Lord, instead of me going to something else, I'm going to go to you. That feels scary. And the reason why that's so scary is because ultimately we're trusting in the Lord who sees all things and we don't see all things. But what is the promise of Proverbs? When we trust him in all our ways, it'll be refreshment to your bones. It'll be healing to your soul. It'll be peace. And isn't that what we want? We will only find peace, life, and vitality when we bring our things to Jesus. Because ultimately, he is the one who's able to help us. And we think about Joshua how was rest gained in the land? How, was, how did Israel ultimately get this rest? Get to verse 23 of chapter 11. It was trusting the Lord. They weren't perfect, not by a long shot. But the culture in which they walked in was one in which they trusted in the sovereignty and faithfulness of their God. How many times do we even see this in the first chapter, 11 chapters? How many times do we see in the first 11 chapters of Joshua, do not be afraid, for I am with you? How many times do we see that, hey, I am fighting for you. I am with you. How many times do we see that the Lord, your God, is giving them to you? So so what this is pointing to is that the Lord is ultimately the one who's in charge. And them trusting them ultimately brought, trusting him ultimately brought about their rest. So rest will never come about by us looking to creation, but to our creator. It'll look, what rest really looks like 
is when we realize our neediness more. And so when we pray, prayer is this acknowledgement that I can't, but God can. And when we rely on the promises of Scripture, they're reminding us of what's true about God. Here's the thing. As I talk about finding rest through surrender, I don't want to give you a formula. I don't want to give you more law. I don't want to give you do this, 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 and then you'll find rest. I want to give you Jesus. And ultimately, because he's the one who can provide you the rest. And so take your anxieties and things, whatever it is you are, are trying to change after, bring it to him. And when we, when we pray and we are in the scripture, we're reminded of who he is and we're reminded of what he can do. And so, so whatever it is you're going through right now, whatever it is you're feeling, whatever emotions are being brought up right now, God is big enough to deal with them. And not as only as he bring enough to deal with them, but you will find rest for your souls when you thrust yourselves in his love and grace for you. Bring these things to Jesus because ultimately though he's the one who can bring healing for you. And I love, Paul says back to Romans, he says in Romans 8, 6, we see a bit of a contrast here, but he says, for to set the mind on the flesh is death, but to set the mind on the spirit is life and peace. Setting on your mind on the flesh is like me deciding what I can do, me deciding what's best, me looking to creation for life. But setting our mind on the spirit is trusting God to help lead you towards what's best. And ultimately, what's best for you is him. Like the, we, we think about the song that we sang at the, at, right before, God be my everything, be my delight. He is what our soul needs. And ultimately, we will get more of God when we surrender. When we are look, the rest that we're looking for, we will gain rest through surrender, through letting go. And so, Ben, you guys can come on back up. He said, rest for your souls looks like surrendering, surrendering to him. It's, it's what Jesus says in Matthew 11, this, this, this verse that we talked about at length last semester, but let me read it to you again. He's, Jesus says that, come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. I will give you rest. That I is Jesus. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. We can find rest in Jesus. We can find rest in the gospel because ultimately um, our acceptance and our approval um, from God is ultimately based on Jesus. We didn't earn it. We couldn't gain it ourselves, but Jesus was the one who got it for us. And if that's true, if you have put your faith in Jesus and you have reconciled back to God, you are a son or a daughter. You belong to him. You are what Colossians, Paul says in Colossians, you are holy, chosen, and dearly loved. This is your identity. This is who you are. And so that makes you free to bring whatever it is you need to bring to him because ultimately those things will not change. Your position before God will not change based on what you confess or what you bring to him. But rather, when you do bring these things in, you will find peace and, and life. It doesn't mean that our circumstances will change. It doesn't mean that our circumstances will get better. Sometimes they don't. But even in the hard circumstances, he's with you. And if, the one, if, if God is the one who can bring us peace in life, wouldn't, that, wouldn't he, we want him to be the one who's with us in the hard times? And so as we take communion this morning, um, let this serve as a reminder that you're free to surrender. You're free to confess. You're free to bring anything to him 
whatever emotion, whatever anxiety, you're free to bring these things to him because of what he has accomplished for you on the cross. His body broken and his blood spilled for you is, made, is what made possible for you to have rest for your souls in Jesus. So, so this morning, as we um, partake, allow yourself to go there. Allow yourself to be honest. Allow yourself to navigate whatever it is that you need to uh, try to work through and, he's, and trust that he's with you. And that in the midst of it, as you're bringing these things to him, it's not that circumstances or things get better, but you get more of him. And that's ultimately where you, what you need. And so you will find rest when you surrender. So set yourself free and let him have all of you. So God, thank you for your, your kindness towards us, that you love us, that you're faithful towards us, God, I pray that you would help each one of us this morning. Um, whatever it is we need to surrender and let go of, would you help us do that? I know that's a big ask for a lot of us, God. I know a lot of us in here feel very burdened and weighted down. Um, we feel entangled by our sin. We feel like there's no hope. We feel like we've gone too far. But the good news of the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus is that, that, we, that we haven't, God that there is no sin, there is nothing that we can confess that one, you'll be surprised by, and two, that you can't forgive and you can't work with. And so God, I pray that you would help us look to you for our rest and for our peace. Would you help us fight the temptation to look to cultural pacifiers to find life and to find rest for our souls? God, would you help us fight the urge to indulge in things um, that ultimately have no life in them? And so, God, would you help us? We need you to help us find our joy and rest in you, God, because on our own, we will set our mind on the flesh. So would you help us set our mind on the Spirit who you've given us for those who put their faith in Christ? So, God, we love you. We praise your Son's name. Amen.